Vault to Strange New Worlds, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hailing frequencies are open. You mean like an ensemble number? Strange New Worlds, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 209, Subspace Rhapsody, comes to you now via Quantum Uncertainty Field Zipper Beam. And news from the fleet before this episode leaves orbit. Just yesterday, Pete, we bid adieu. I say adieu to Secret Invasion, wrapping up our season May series podcast on that. Uh, available for the rabid and non-rabid fan alike to enjoy. Yes, not the greatest choice of words from the showrunner for what seems to be regarded by... Uh, viewers as not the greatest offering ever from Marvel Studios and Disney Plus. Pete, look to the horizon. The great Marvel redemption hopefully happens when Loki returns in uh, in October and the Loki season two trailer hit this past Monday. We've already covered it in detail. Our enthusiasm through the roof for that second season. Yes, should really cleanse that palate. And Pete, every day that we get closer to Ahsoka's August 23rd premiere is closer to them either meeting that date or chaos on the Star Wars bridge. Uh, If for some reason they fail to meet that date as you have, I don't want to say prognosticated, as you have pondered as a possibility. Yeah, I don't want it to happen. I just see it as a possibility. And this as talks about uh, talks between the two unions on strike that, of course, the Writers Guild of America and SAG-AFTRA have uh, broken down. So they can't even talk about talking, let alone negotiate. This strike is going to go on indefinitely. And for the producers uh negotiation chief representative to say at that talk about the talks well i need to go back and talk to the studios about this before we can continue like either you're the representative or you're not i totally get it if somebody out of the blue says i think we're almost there or if somebody says i'm introducing a brand new concept you know every writer gets a hoverboard or something like that whoa this is outside the scope of what we planned for i mean that's that's just weasel weasel behavior there yes it's not good and it's affected star trek las vegas yes i guess we can infer you know we've talked in the past how some animated shows are wga and others are part of the uh whether it's the animation union or animation writers union there's there's multiple unions that 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 exist there and so forth but regardless the strike did not prevent uh, the Hageman brothers from talking about the uh, now canceled Star Trek prodigy hopes for the second season confidence is blooming Pete what more can you say they showed a trailer at Star Trek Las Vegas Matt cover your ears if you don't want to hear spoilers here uh, containing Robert Picardo's the doctor as a recurring character in season two of the USS Voyager A. Um, look, I'm not a huge Prodigy fan, but the show clearly has been done dirty. And 
hopefully there's a hopefully there's a happy ending there. It is somebody's Star Trek, Matt, and and that I think is important. And that you make Paramount Plus the home of all Star Trek, including the thing that you were going to put first on Nickelodeon and then bring to Paramount Plus, and then you put first on Paramount Plus and then brought to Nickelodeon, and people watched it, and people are here for it, and then you got rid of it. <sighs> it's exhausting. Uh, the Hagemans saying they are 99% confident they will receive a new home uh, because studios don't pay to not show something. All I can say is this, Pete, it better not end up on uh, the free with ad service Pluto because I only say that specifically Pluto because that's owned by Paramount Global. Like that's not a difficult mountain to climb to say, let's move it from one arm to another arm. So if all this is much ado about nothing uh i don't know it'll just be further confounding but pete let's focus on this week and indeed head into the mission briefing for this episode on stardate 2398.3 ensign uhura narrates a communications officer's log from the far edges of the alpha quadrant where they have encountered a naturally occurring subspace fold which spock posits could be used to triple the speed of messages in the sector. But his experiment requires so much computer power that the rest of the ship has to communicate the old-fashioned way. She whirs about her station playing operator. From his quarters, Pike asks if she's hailed Captain Patel. She's on it and will send it to him when she has her. In the transporter room, number one asks if the Farragut confirmed Lieutenant Kirk's arrival. She's checking. From sickpay, Chapel asks if there's a message from Dr. Corby yet. It just arrived and she's routing it now. From engineering, Spock asks if Uhura is ready to continue their experiment momentarily. All of it has Uhura needing a moment herself. Nichelle Nichols, once upon a time before a working and successful actor, uh, had a job as a as an operator working working a phone board. Uh, so fitting here that Uhura is doing it. Uh, I don't know how much of that is story driven or Nichelle Nichols anecdote driven, but it certainly made me think of the late great Nichelle Nichols. We go to Pike's call with Patel. Uh, it's all about their fun upcoming vacation. Pike, though, wondering if the timing is bad. Undertones here. He really doesn't want to commit to this vacation or the relationship. Oh, my. Uh, however, he's also not fessing up his true feelings here. Um, ultimately, they put a pin on the planning. In the transporter room, Una is receiving Kirk. Laan is there, too. Uh, Una noting, and Pete, this is a line from the trailer, a line has been hanging around for a while, that La'an has an energy around her, a sort of sort of heat. Uh, La'an denies it all. She's just there to run security procedures, which, Pete, look, this is an episode that later on is going to ask us to make uh, further allowances for the story. The notion that a already previously credentialed uh, lieutenant, forthcoming first officer, uh, needs security procedures run on him. I mean, I, I think it's a little, little wishy-washy. That said, Una, well, Una's figuring out that there are some parts that don't fit here as well. So uh, all in the service of a delightful setup here. A story technique 
to bring her out there. Uh, but it's making number one sweat. Uh, she beams him in, and Kirk thought Sam would be there. But she says he's busy, and they'll find him later. Uh, he thanks number one for agreeing to let him shadow her, which she did with Pike for a week before she started. Uh, and Kirk tells Lon it's good to see her and that she still owes him that drink. She leads him the wrong way in the transporter room before finding the right one in order to clear him. In sick bay, Chapel has put forth yet another fellowship application, waiting to hear the news. Classic kind of Stranger Worlds moment here where we're informed a little bit by the prior episode, the Vulcan Science Academy application having been denied. This one from Dr. Corby. Thousands apply, only five are accepted per year. Uh, she, of course, tentative to open that space email and get the bad news, but finally she does open it and she's in. Mbenga notes that he will have to do without her for three months, uh, which is a nice way to establish she's not leaving whenever the, you know she does leave. Um, she's got a big hooray moment here, and she'll need to tell Spock about all of this, some less hooray there. Pete, take us even to less, less hooray in engineering. Uh where Spock has had another communication failure. See what they did there, Matt. On their 12th attempt to send a message through the fold, Pelia points out it was it was their 13th, not exactly a lucky number, and asks what makes him think this fold will lead to faster communications, which he explains frequencies propagate through three times faster. Ahura says their current relay network uh, takes weeks to send a message across the quadrant and hums as she works, which prompts Pelia to ask if they've tried sending music. And Spock says they have not. She says since they're trying to communicate through a medium with different laws of physics, um, perhaps the answer is fundamental harmonics. Just a thought, but maybe an excellent one for an episode and Spock has Uhura pick the song, so she wants to see if Subspace is a fan of the Great American Songbook and sends Anything Goes, which triggers a wave through the ship. Pete, I got my Songatron waves. Okay, fine, they're not called <laughs> that, actually. Uh, but I, I, well, there they are. The, the waves reverberate and reverberate through the ship. Indeed, as Pete, what I would like to call Songatron particles uh, hitting everyone. We see it hitting Ortegas. There's Pike in the turbo lift, uh, you know, making its way through there. Pike uh, lands on the bridge. I feel like there's, there's a rhythm to the dialogue. We're, we don't quite start with the music immediately, but we're kind of counting into some rhythm here. All of a sudden, Spock is singing about assessing the warp core. Why? He apologizes about this confusing thing, for he appears to be singing. There we go, Pete. We're off to the races. Yes. Uh, didn't have Spock picked as the guy to start it, perhaps the best choice in terms of the illogical nature of it, talking about the intermixed chamber and containment field and the unique challenge of taking techno babble 
and placing it to song here. Pike asking where the music is coming from. And Ortegas says, not from anywhere on the ship as she reaches the helm. Sickbay sings to report no injuries, and Pike sings back. Ortegas sings at the helm, as does number one as she checks life support, which perplexes Pike as Laon and Kirk arrive. On rewatch, really well done in terms of the physical movement. This is not dancing, but the overemphasis of their movements, you know, Mitchell and Ortegas at the helm, pushing buttons rhythmically, and then Pike going up to the helm like, hey, what's wrong with this thing? As Laon gets out of the turbo lift, uh, singing about uh, no security uh, threats detected, they all sing apologies and that all systems are stable. But why are they singing? We head into the credits here with a really, really lovely acapella version. Uh, it strikes me, Pete, all those times that there was never, ever a change to um, like a particular Star Trek theme song. And here we've had we're on our second uh, variation in as many weeks. Uh, so certainly fun stuff there. Uh, in the credits, we find out that the episode is written by Dana Horgan and Bill Wolkoff, directed by Dermot Downs. Pete, I must confess I was not familiar with the work of Dermot Downs. I assumed that they got him because he must have an extensive, uh, you know, extensive credits with uh, whether it's musical theater or directing, you know, episodes of Glee or something. And no, they have a guy who's an accomplished, uh, actually a former child actor, an accomplished director in his adult life, but they got a guy to do a musical who doesn't have musical experience. And I don't know whether that's, that speaks solely to his strength or other people, choreographer or whatever it might be along the way. But you know, this is, this is a, this is an episode that's pulling this conceit off very, very well. And took so much longer. The, uh, the number was seven times the length because you've got to get all the choreography and, their songs and the back and forth that went with the writers, with the songwriters, just to get everything just right. In the ready room, Pike acknowledges what happened, and Lon says they have reports of musical outbreaks from every deck. Kirk thought it was something they rehearsed, but he joined in, and so did Umbenga, and he doesn't sing. Pike asks Spock to recap, and he believes the song they sent created a resonant frequency and dislodged something from the fold, a quantum uncertainty field creating new realities, including one where people sing uncontrollably. Laon asks, what's next? More improbability, or will they poof into bunnies? Which Mbenga doesn't want either. That's, that's the one I want to see next, where they poof into bunnies bunny trek um it really it's look the the conceit is ridiculous and i love that they just kind of you know damn the torpedoes full speed mm -hmm. ahead in terms of we have some science techno babble which is, is as uh improbable or probable as most of the science in star trek um the solution here that it's it's a multiverse thing i love that that's 
it's the perfect hand wavy thing i mean we we accept that in star trek there's you know multiple realities etc cetera, etc cetera. so to just go i don't know it's like a multiverse thing and it's spilling into our world and, and that solves it um i think they could have done three times the science to get the story no closer to closing the gap between normal star trek and this conceit and they're just diving into the conceit and it's uh it's a great solution i've often heard people that don't like musicals have the hang-up of you know people just bursting into song and and here to address it that that's a reality i'm never gonna not think about this when i watch musical theater now like oh i've just entered a reality where where people sing uncontrollably um Spock doubts they're going to become bunnies, but they may not be done with singing because I still have a whole episode. And simulations say that they've become tethered to the improbability field uh, and attempting to leave would widen it, which Pelia compares to a zipper. And Pike points out they function both ways, possibly allowing them to use uh, to close it which Spock says they could try by manually combining shield harmonics with the Heisenberg compensator to the, to the deflector array. Pike orders it done since they don't know how all the singing will affect them. And he'd rather not find out. Spock and Uhura work on the particulars at her station. Spock sees the futuristic space email subject line uh, <laughs> from Dr. Corby. Uh, of course, Uhura does not read such things. Let me just pause, Pete. I've said this multiple times throughout the season, but this is yet another example of the way that there's this really kind of effortless, compact way in which we know why Spock is there seeing the emails over her shoulder because they need to solve this problem. And we know why Uhura has all these emails up. It's because of the science that was going on and she's needed to be this coordinator of all messages and we know from prior episodes uh chapel's desire to uh, branch out in other fields to do these fellowships uh you know sleep away science camp whatever you want to call it um and just the fact that in an episode where there's bigger things to worry about like the months that must have been spent saying who can sing who can't sing who can we auto-tune a little bit who's not game choreography bubble all of this stuff to nonetheless have a story where we can have not just, you know, Spock and Chapel, their relationship seems to be on the decline and so forth. But to have this moment here where it's just, boom, he sees the email. She, of course, does not read such things. And this excellent acting from Ethan Peck as he catches himself having gone a step too far. He's Spock. And then kind of backing off. You know, oh, of course, of course you don't read it. Uh, Spock here admitting to he and Chapel having a closeness. However, recently uh, they've had challenged communications, he says, rather snootily, at least snootily, for a Vulcan. Yes. Uh, and Uhura encourages him um, by asking about it. But number one contacts them uh, that she and Kirk are in place for the harmonics data. In a Jeffrey's tube, Kirk connects a junction and says, Sam described number one as the first officer he thought he should be like, keeping a necessary distance from the crew because of the hard decisions that must be made. She's aware 
of her reputation, but is trying a hands-on approach in the time after her Illyrian admission and prosecution and, uh, you know, her clearance on that and allowed to return to active duty. Uh, Kirk's last first officer definitely kept his distance and no one questioned him, but number one calls that style a first mistake that makes her head shake and heartbreak as the music starts. She sings some advice to connect to the crew because in a parallel world, she could see herself up on the stage singing Gilbert and Sullivan and uh, they they joked in some of the behind the scenes stuff this week, although maybe kidding, not kidding, Akiva Goldsman, who helped to run Fringe uh, at one point, and they always did their 19th episode was always a super unusual one uh, throughout that uh, five season run, joked that they could do a musical every ninth episode that you know, everything's kind of coming up to the head as you set up the finale next week, which looks to be a humdinger. Uh, be interesting to see if they can keep that. Also, um, news that they almost went, that Picard almost beat um, Strange New Worlds to the musical. In fact, uh, Michael Chabon um, joked on the Borg set when they were kidding around, oh, you know, we should make a musical here. Oh, I know Lin-Manuel Miranda. I'll, I'll call him. Um, he didn't call back. Michael Chabon, who, by the way, you know, when he was more active with uh, the first season of Picard, he would post a lot of Picard content. Pete, in this strike era, Michael Chabon, who has a hand in, you know, many TV projects, also an author, sometimes a contender in the last 30 years for Great American Novel, some would disagree. Follow his Instagram during the strike here. He's traveling. He's enjoying his vacation. I haven't caught any strike posts that he's... Pete, let's get back to the, the, the song here. Uh, and the, the dance. Indeed, the recommendation that Kirk should profess his truths. Indeed, La'an is looking on as there's this song and dance here. Um, takeaways from this song, Pete, I did not know that Rebecca Romaine could sing as well as she does i was pleasantly surprised i also in my head in my head canon maybe she got proposed I, I suspect that there's many people on the cast that got that were pro 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 proposed this episode and were like no way this is crazy are you serious i suspect that rebecca romaine every day is like i was a successful model in the 1990s uh that went from regular modeling to you know sports illustrated to victoria's secret then i get some movie parts where i play a model then they hire me for x-men because um i have a model's body and i'm okay standing there in blue paint and a basically next to nothing however i get these acting moments like people like you or why i didn't go to school and the the second career takes off from there and she seems to have had you know she had the one uh marriage to john stamos didn't work out next marriage to jerry o'connell worked out kids mom like i suspect in my heart, I suspect that when they came along and said, we want you to sing, she was like, I am a 50-year-old former underwear model who's had a steady career throughout multiple careers. Let's do this. Let's dive on in. She just brings that little extra bit to it. She does, and that they mine the character all the way back to the short treks, Matt, and her first day 
with Spock on the Enterprise with the Gilbert and Sullivan connection, which they've used again this season at her trial, uh, is, is just a great flourish to have the the different numbers and the different styles, the way they go about this, all as Lon looks on with a mixture of jealousy and fear, which sends her into her own number as she heads to her quarters and looks in the mirror, lamenting. She's designed to color inside the lines. She sings that it might be time to change and be vulnerable, opening a drawer symbol, Matt, to reveal the watch from the alt-dead Kirk. She lays on the bed and imagines the other time spent with him in the hotel room in Toronto, but she's fearful of getting her heart broken. She puts the watch back and tells Pike in the turbo lift that when people sing, they are confessing highly personal, emotional information, which she says constitutes a security threat. He's confident in Spock and Uhura's plan to shut the zipper. Uhura contacts Lieutenants Kirk in the transporter room as they connect a junction and Sam says she was actually talking to him because he works there. But Jim points out it's not even his department. But Uhura told Sam Jim missed him. We have the Heisenberg compensator now properly plugged into all the wires snaked where they need to go. The deflector now part of the system here. It fires. The energy burst does its thing. And look, it's closing must be the, the the problem is solved um then there's a chime and another energy surge happens uh ortegas thinks that perhaps they did not zip it up after all <laughs> that's a great line <laughs> uh with that the cayuga calls in and it's captain Battelle on the main screen she talks uh how she'd like and i should say talk talks before we get into song here she'd like a private conversation in a discreet location about the canceled vacation Boom, we have the rhyming there. Then she's singing away. Pike wants to end the call. She tells him no, uh, th that he always does this, runs away. Uh, and uh, he's saying all of this in front of his crew. Uh, it's reiterated that this is a private conversation about their frustration. Uh, he ends up on his knees sharing his, uh, his heart as La'an shuts it all down. Why did he admit all that? Oh, perhaps it is a security threat. And we've had him sing her name, which we now know officially we had seen it on uh, set decoration Marie, but now officially spoken. Uh, Pike asks why the singing happened on the Cayuga and Spock says the improbability field has expanded across the whole subspace communication network. Ohura clarifies it's affected the entire fleet. In Pike's quarters, number one explains Admiral April's last message confirmed the improbability field has spread to 12 Federation ships in a surprisingly beautiful baritone, and then he wanted it stopped immediately. I love, Pete, that we get singing even from characters who don't appear uh, in the episode. I wanted our Admiral April just to appear. I would expect what with the you know, bookmark at the beginning of the season that he'll he'll be back for the finale. But man, it would have been nice just to get that surprisingly beautiful 
baritone out of the actor. Maybe, maybe he was one of the ones who was uncomfortable. Uh, Uhura notes that part of what's going on here, part of the part of the conceit of their reality is that they are following the rules of musicals. You sing about your powerful emotions. Uh, and there's, of course, the potential uh, to to for all of this to be driven apart. Indeed, maybe they can blow it all up with a matter antimatter blast. Uh, of course, a little sample would be a good place to start. Una sends Laan and Kirk to do the job to get working on that. Uh, Laan reluctant, nay, borderline refusing. She's not being herself. Uh, and uh, it's added that she does not want to sing around James. Laan notes that real feelings uh, may be a space-time risk here. Uh, however, she just needs to say what's on her mind. And then, Pete, it's song time again. Number one sings how she relates to her protege's predicament about keeping secrets. As Chapel and Mbenga share a look on that line in sickbay. Number one disengages the ready room's artificial gravity and they float as Pike contemplates the vacation to the cliche and touristy Crevo. Number one reengages gravity and sings to on that secrets that she keeps uh, worked before, but she doesn't need them anymore. In the transporter room, Kirk and Laan are making those tweaks to beam in a bit of the, uh, the, the subspace particle situation that's out there. Uh, first, they can't get it done. Uh, they need to work together. Uh, indeed, together is what wins the day. But indeed, Pete, working together using multiple tricks at the, uh, at the transporter console there, they're are able to achieve maximum energy transported in yes beaming over the particles from the fold and notifying spock they're sending them his way he tells her they should team up kirk does um more often and she's about to tell jim something when a boom shakes the enterprise before a map of the quadrant on the Federation Klingon border, Spock says firing on the field would be devastating. His simulation shows it would be like soaking it in kerosene and holding a match to it. As Pike says they need a plan C, Uhura receives a hail, which he tells her not to answer for fear of spreading it further. Spock triangulates the source and he detects a warp signature rapidly approaching, bearing Klingon encryption. Number one says the last thing anyone wants is singing Klingons. Pike orders Uhura to send them a message that they must turn around, but she receives a message indicating the probability field has already reached them. She plays the message from General Garkog of the Imperial Defense Force that their invasion raises much suspicion and they have located the source of their dishonor and will destroy it, warning them not to try and stop them. This match played delightfully by Hammer actor Bruce Horak. Great to have him back, albeit in this small part. Certainly, fingers crossed for future appearances there, Bruce Horak, who, by the way, apparently has a 
has an indie music group that he's a part of uh, already. It's in the least. <laughs> yeah. Like what a this guy, lets, dude, it's, yeah. it, you know, you put a, put a golden eye patch on the guy and there's a dance number around him later. I'm not surprised. He's, he's a performer <laughs> uh, musically. Uh, we are told it's two hours until the Klingons arrive. So hand the old story clock there. The Enterprise needs to stop them. Uh, it's discussed that perhaps they should fire first, even though this will be an act of war. Uh, such an act would nonetheless prevent the worst case scenario uh, here, which is the destruction of most of the Federation and half of the Klingon Empire. Um, La'an and Kirk step away to continue to work on solutions. Uh, Spock and Uhura are going to head to the science uh, world, science station. And indeed, Spock wondering if perhaps the solution through all of this is uh, is after studying the frequencies as the songs begin, uh, perhaps they should be focusing on some sort of improbability breaking event, something big, something that allows them to lean into the emotion. And with that, Pete, take us to what is now named as the Port Galley. Spock wonders how to trigger a song. And Ahura says they just need to wait until someone feels overwhelming emotion like they see about to happen as Sam Kirk and Ortegas toast their brilliant friend Chapel. Spock awkwardly congratulates her and asks why she hadn't told him. She asks to talk about it later and triggers a song Uhura scans. She confesses she didn't think she'd get the fellowship and is surprised how good it feels. They sing and hoist her up as Spock stands and she sings if she needs to leave him, she won't fight it and tells him she's ready as he walks out. Ethan Peck has been good before this, but this episode, I think, is where you can honestly start to talk about him being a worthy successor to Nimoy's subtle emotions. We see his light sadness at the beginning of the song here, part of the air and how Spock leaves at the end. Um, all during what is perhaps the most catchy tune. I mean, the finale uh, group number is probably number one, but great tune here, great harmonies. I like that we have a big dance number. However, it's not, overly choreographed it's just simply mm -hmm. fun star trek can be fun um in a and... space that's designed for it like you didn't have to over plan for this the choreography when you watch it on the bridge and you know how they do that there but all right you're in a lounge you're in a speakeasy like it's it's been done before man no one's ever done a musical number on a on a starship bridge before in the conference room, Kirk and La'an have a plan. Uh, it's time for her to just simply say what's on her heart before she has to sing again. <laughs> a 17th century sea shanty. <laughs> I want uh, that one. <laughs> yeah, where's that? Where's that? I mean, work print is the wrong word, but where's that? Where's that? Uh, you know, rough draft story that never made it to you know the cast recording booth. Um, but La'an says she knows Kirk. There's a different time. She met another version of him. Uh, of course, there are rules that prevent her from saying too much. Uh, Kirk is the one that points that out. Kirk, who, you know, will go on to have this legendary, <laughs> you know, le legendary time travel file. Um, but the other Kirk, Kirk has broken rules, too. It's a Kobayashi Maru, right? 
the other Kirk uh, saw the real her, um, and uh, the the hurt remaining, but through his eyes, she saw the potential that she has, someone who lives beyond the tragedy and darkness of her name, somebody who could live in hope, somebody who could make connections. Then the other Kirk was gone, and that other side is gone too. Uh, and that's what she wanted to say, Pete, all without a song. Kirk says he'd be lying if he said he didn't feel the connection, too. And his life is complicated since he's in a sometimes relationship with Starbase One scientist Carol, who he thinks Lon would and is like. He tends not to stay in the same place long, which presents a problem now that Carol is pregnant this i mean clearly the 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 connection not even the connection clearly the reference to carol marcus and so forth the unborn david yeah it's emotional dialogue that cuts deep it's sadly tragic It is well served to have no song pete this is why disney movies tend not to have songs in the second half it's because it's time to be serious and time to say serious things not sing fun songs Uhura finds Spock in engineering, analyzing the data they gathered, looking for a pattern which isn't present. He confesses he didn't expect Chapel to be so definitive about ending their arrangement. She tries to console him. He sees Chapel's logic, yet he's hurt to be left behind. He sings how her news changes everything, echoing, of course, chapel's song and a uh reprisal he's done the calculus searching for why he's the x he laments his feelings he's solved for why and he's the x boyfriend he apologizes and leaves uhura to try and find a pattern all alone like uh happened with her parents and cool big brother dying in the shuttle accident and hammer's belief in her as a cadet until his death she admits to the pressure of bringing people together at the cost of her loneliness the the prior song the spock song i'm the x is musically related i think fittingly so to the prior song i'm ready there it's not quite major and minor but it's you listen to them back to back and you go, oh, they're kind of the same song. One is just sultry and upbeat. The other one is sullen and downbeat. Um, I think, too, you had referenced, Pete, at the start of the musical adventure here, how you were surprised. And I think many of us were surprised that Spock was the one that let off the singing. It must have been quite a thing for the songwriters, uh, Kay Hanley and Tom Pulse, to get their heads wrapped around Spock is is a major iconic character. Uh, turns out that Ethan Peck ha- has a has a an above average singing voice. You can use him more often than not, but he's inherently a character who holds back on emotions. So, what kind of songs do you give him? The one is the kind of highly technical. We're going to hit you with a bunch of techno babble to start things off and to ease into the ridiculousness of this world. Uh, and then this song here, kind of with its mathematical take on things. Um, this is not my favorite song of the bunch. And I don't think it's the fault of the song or the fault of the songwriters. I think it's just, it's really, really tough to write for Spock 
who can't say, you know, I love you, baby, I love you, or whatever the most kind of cliched but but heartfelt dialogue uh, and lyrics might be. You mentioned the two letters to Cleo uh songwriters and musicians involved here and i think they do a really great match of the character and the performer uh to the genre of songs here of course it's going to be the uh grammy nominated uh celia gooding who's going to get the the big role here you know the the grand triumphant number breaking through the the sadness she finds the the pattern there's the visual flourishes here with the special effects and she embraces her role to keep people connected into the act break and then out where she explains to pike that every time someone sings the field spikes and she's run simulations and if they can get to 344 giga electron volts spock who enters says it will shatter the field pike asks uh how they do it because they've just detected two more katinga class battle cruisers ohura says so far they've only witnessed people torn apart by song but it can also be communal when she sang with chapel it spiked to 40 electron volts and that was just a solo with backup vocals maybe four voices they need to do it again with a lot more. Pike asks like an ensemble number, but Uhura calls it a grand finale. Spock says their challenge is how to inspire 200 crew members to spontaneously sing in thematic unison. Pike says it sounds like a job for Uhura. Indeed, because she sees those connections, Pike opens it all by uh, creating a, a shipwide announcement he says they will get through this by following the voice of the Enterprise. Uhura joins the conversation. All might not know her. She used to think of herself as always alone, but not on this ship. Uh, they are, if I may coin a phrase, Pete, hashtag all connected. Um, <laughs> the odds of them being there right then, it's improbable. Without the song starts uh this is where it all leads her destiny to save them all she's going to disrupt the chaos um and i i love the little addition here we have random folks in the hall and the camera <laughs> spins they're, yeah they're dance crew members <laughs> it's it's just it's um it, it's just above and beyond and it's oh so wonderful um we have it reiterated our security is strong as our unity um, the number rises, but the dangers are not over yet. Uh, they'll all miss singing. Spock won't miss singing. I love that little divergence in the, in the lyrics there. Uh, we know our purpose is to protect the mission. We all work better all together. Um, and we still have the added pressure of the Klingons here soon. Yes, uh, the perimeter alert sounding. Uh, Kirk gives credit to the crew and says if he makes captain, it'll be because of them. Number one doesn't take her role for granted, and Chapel can't believe how much she'll miss the crew. Um, Pike is proud to be their captain as they hit 300 electron volts. Uhura marvels at the crew, and they credit her with saving them. She says they need more voices, and Pike tells her to hail the Klingons 
who sing and dance before their transmission halts and the senior staff step out of the turbo lift onto the bridge, aware of their purpose now. The Enterprise and three Klingon ships swirl as Spock joins the musical number to throw the electron volts over the top and shatter the field with a firework-like effect. They congratulate each other, but Spock and Chapel awkwardly resist as he leaves. And Pike tells Uhura to hail the Klingons to mend fences. Later in the port galley, La'an is sad. Uh, she has shared her truth with Kirk. It did not work out. It didn't go great. Though this was difficult, perhaps, La'an can take more chances. In Pike's quarters, Battelle and Pike talk. Uh, he was indeed reluctant to say that he did not like her idea. He wants to go camping. Battelle says that he needs to be honest with her, uh, to, to share more with her, for them to act as a pair. There's good news, there's bad news. They will have more time to plan as there's an important mission next week. Mm -hmm. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. However, they're going to meet in the middle. Uh, and the problem with camping, it's, it's, it comes down to this. No camping if it means no room service. Pete, they have all the time in the world there. Take us to Uhura, wrapping things up. In a supplemental log, she is happy to report all Federation vessels are back to normal. Spock stumbles out of the turbo lift, having successfully engaged the Klingons in blood wine diplomacy, like he did in the season two premiere. Pike says they'd be wise to share their findings with non-Federation ships and directs Uhura to see who's nearby and open a channel. She hums and everyone looks over nervously before she apologizes for the earworm. Pete, we have a tactical analysis of this week's threats. Let's start with that troublesome subspace fold. In grand Star Trek tradition, the misunderstood uh, natural phenomenon, um, both the, the source of tension and the thing that ultimately helps them save the day. We also have as a threat, I mean, Pete, the security officer says so, that one of the threats <laughs> is highly personal, emotional information. Um, I mean, look, not only does the show lean into the musical format, but it kind of gets to the heart of it, which is not singing for singing's sake. It's singing to punctuate these emotions. Um, and these are characters with emotions that are on, uh, that are on a, a serial journey, despite the episodic nature of the missions. And it works. The idea that you're going to have them blurting things out in song. The only thing they could have made it better is if you had introduced uh, the actress playing Carol Marcus, uh, you know, revealing Genesis device secrets. <laughs> uh, we have as a threat to certainly a threat to the timing of the story, the Klingons. I mean, what a welcome presence and what a great use for, you know, interrupting the big number so we could take it back down, have a laugh, get more of that kind of hip hop boy band nature there before we ramp on up at the end. I've had, you know, people criticize it saying, you know, oh, they should have been singing Klingon opera 
this is the opportunity to do something different, not what we've seen associated with the Klingons in the past. We've we've heard uh, Klingon opera. We know that Worf listens to it. Let that be of that time and, and embrace this here. You know, is it the silliest thing done in the episode in, in an episode that is musical? It is. But again, it works. And I love that, you know, you had Bruce Horak in the middle of it, particularly the way his his chair on the Klingon vessel slides back and they're dancing with the with the knives. Pete looks set long-range sensors to scan for theories ahead. Okay, Captain Marie Battelle, herein getting an official name, also has an important mission next week. Also, Pete, the thing that got me the most was realizing that they have plenty of time to plan for all sorts of adventures. Is she Tracy Bond? Does she die at the end of next week's episode? Somebody's not watched the scene they've made publicly available from the Gorn uh, based finale. Uh, so I'm going to withhold con- uh, context and, uh, you know, further comment, Matt. Pete, you joked slash not joked when you quoted Akiva Goldsman. Hey, maybe we do this every ninth episode. It seems to me like the feedback for this episode has been pretty unanimously positive. They did it. They pulled it off. You know, you want to say one a season, maybe that's a tad much, but the notion that originally this was going to be a Picard thing, you know, in a show that had a much more dour and serious tone versus Strange New Worlds, where literally it's a different conceit each yeah. week, um, they have to return to this, right? And that you have two performers in particular, Gooding, you know, the the Broadway star, and Christina Chong with an album out now that they could really lean into those. Um yeah, I'd, I'd love to see him return to it. It's it's the prep work. But Matt, in an episode where they potentially ice Chapel for the three-month time, and yeah, they could pick up next week and say, it, it had been three months since she returned. Uh, they could do that. Dr. Corby, um, her eventual uh, ex from the original series, uh, Roger, um and then you throw in the strike, Matt, that the earliest time we might be looking at season three of the, uh, you know, season three and four greenlit Strange New Worlds is probably going to be 2025. I guess it depends how much had been shot. And my, I don't know, there, there, there's a variety of X factors um you're right to, to bring it back to chapel in particular i feel like that's a story uh you know a story point to watch for next week is she packing up and leaving or is she gone do i recall correctly pete that the the season finale last season had prime universe prime universe laon had already left mm-hmm. i think that what we got of her was uh no or was she even in the no she was in the finale yeah she was the first officer of the farragut right 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 and we got yeah that that, that's right but again just just sort of she had she'd been written out even though she appeared you know so 
I guess the point being... It's not an alternate universe story next week. True, true. I guess I'm just saying it's kind of no harm, no foul either way. If Chapel has yet to leave, great. Have her be in the finale if they've said for the purposes of emotional drama or who knows, mm-hmm. scheduling, whatever. Okay, she's not in it. I'd rather have her versus not. But if you tell me she's not, then I'm going to, regardless, we're going to feel it because as you said, Pete, it could be three months later or it could be the three months is in between seasons. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, something to watch for for next week. Biobed 2 and Secrets sung about. Uh, near it, Matt, and a look between Mbenga and Chapel. We do have one listener who takes me to task over my oddball theory that uh, Ra is stuck in the bio bed, but uh, what was here was there. I know that, um, I mean, again, it's just amazing how coming off of last week's episode which i know kind of um uh, you know in terms of a production they are that's not necessarily this the case for the songwriters but um i know oftentimes with a musical things are changing as you write it you sit and have a certain number of songs and you say okay emotionally things have changed so song number four is now completely done with and, and <laughs> apparently that's a thing and how terrible that must be to be like we've just come up with the best song to explain getting out of town and now they're not leaving town or whatever it might be. Um, but yeah, we, we, we get reference there to the secrets. We, it, it boggles me how this whole, this whole adventure could have been more light in terms of the drama because it's a light musical thing. And nonetheless, they get breakup and there's secrets and there's, I mean, there's the mini breakup, if you will, of Pike and Battelle before they patch things up at the end. There's kind of so much character stuff that goes throughout this episode. Mitchell had the con, Matt. We've not seen that to this point. They didn't make anything of it, and she was out of it by the time the the singing started. But it was an interesting uh, thing to note there. Yeah, and I would say... When in doubt, if you want to say, oh, they can switch the controls around, yeah, as opposed to this is where the joystick is and only, pilot must only sit here, not there. Um, to me, that's a good enough Star Trek answer. If you want to say we move some seats around because of lighting, because it's easier to go Pike or Tagus and then number one over there further right, you know, whatever it is. Uh, Pete, this uh, what I'm about to say has never been said about Star Trek before. You don't need to be a slave to how the pretendship works in order to like, that should not slow down your storytelling when it comes to character and emotional moments. Um, Carol on Starbase one. Will we get her this season? Have they just announced that we're going to see her in season three? Oh boy. This is always when I listen back six months later and I go, <laughs> Pete gave you the opportunity to make the call and you swung and you got it wrong. So Pete, my gut says we are not going to see her the way we have not seen Captain Angel again, at least so far, the way we have not had more on the Cybok front. That's what my gut says. So I'm going to do a Kobayashi Maru on myself and say, yes, we see her next week. It is a Stranger Worlds 
the way it kind of strings up Christmas lights and say, we're going to take something from this episode and something from that episode and work towards a conclusion. I'm going to say that we get to see her. Um, and even though I don't believe that in my heart, I'm saying that because I'd like to be right for once. The Spock Chapel romance may have run its course here. Have they potentially set the table for the original series tension between Spock and Uhura? I I was surprised to leave this episode saying to myself, yes, I think they have uh, done just that. I think that there is an argument to be made. Let's have them. Let's have them have a relationship just it being a normal thing for several episodes. And if several episodes means, you know, two, oh, eight, nine, ten, and then the first couple episodes of season three, so be it. But um, look, it's either the beginning, the middle, or the end of this episode. The chapel goes to Corby. Um, she comes out of that in love. I would assume comes out of that three-month experience. There's a relationship, whether they're engaged or that happens later. Um, I think that I think that the Chapel and Spock relationship now, though there was all this dramatic potential for it to be this beautiful, blooming romance week after week, we can now kind of properly contextualize it in saying, of course, they'll be professional when she returns. But of course, now that explains the distance that we see in classic Trek. And Pete, I'll just mention tangentially uh, the Dr. Corby episode um, uh, what are little girls made of? What are little girls made of? Features my favorite Star Trek costume of all time. That worn by Andrea. Or maybe it's uh, how Andrea wears the costume. I don't know. But regardless, uh, I really like Andrea in that episode. What are your predictions for the finale? I mean, unquestionably Gorn stuff. I, I, I have not seen any of the footage. or I wasn't aware that there was a thing out there. I'm going to on the on the Captain Battelle front, I will say it's too obvious to kill her off this professional, capable woman who's a starship captain and Marie Battelle Esquire, or I guess it would be Captain Marie Battelle Esquire. Um to kill off a character like that merely to inform Pike. Now Pike's sad. Um, look, I, I I understand the short-term gain there, and you get to say, now, Anson, act with tears. Um, but I don't know. I would not give up the Battelle character to make Anson Mount cry um, or, or to have the character of Pike cry to give it as an Anson Mount acting moment. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be like La'an might be. I'm going to vote for Hope and all that. I think we're going to get a bunch of Gorn stuff, of course. Um, lengthwise, I'm hoping to get 65, 68 minutes of episode here. Just a nice, big, honking piece of Star Trek. Um, would I rule out a to-be-continued? I would not hate a to-be-continued. And honestly, if I'm, if I'm part of the post-production team as these episodes are being finalized and going, I think there's going to be a strike. I think there's going to be a strike. Do we do take one or do we do take two or, or do we put, do we say to be continued? I say lean into the chaos of the now uh, and give us a nice big old to be continued story point and put that on screen. And then we can say, but when, and just have that kind of delicious itch there. They did ponder the possibility that nine and 10 were to be two parters. 
spiritually, of course, you you do see that with Battelle going on the priority one mission. I'm really holding out hope, Matt, for the reappearance of Captain Angel, for Cybok here to have it wrapped up with a uh, a little bow of the Gorn and maybe even some Carol Marcus. Pete, let's talk some theories here regarding kind of the, the behind the scenes of this episode. Obviously, Celia Rose Gooding, I think kind of unquestionably the best singer of the bunch, given uh, that she's a Tony nominee and a Grammy winner uh, for Jagged Little Pill. Uh, Christina Chong, I think second of the bunch. After those two, who's like your who, who are your next two or three actors that surprised you for their singing skill? Ethan Peck did a really good job. I mean, even even the way that just Anson Mount's a really great guy and a professional and and digs into that. Um, Paul Wesley, like being around for this episode, it, it, it doesn't call for Kirk necessarily. And I'm sure it was like, well, we're going to do the musical episode. You don't have to be in it and that he's in it that. He's been in so much of season two here. Um, Benga, you wonder if the the dialogue was how he really felt there. Uh, <laughs> you read my mind. You read my mind. The, the heat. And look, I, like I'm, it. I'm sure he's nothing but a lovely guy. In fact, oh, I, I remember. You know, we've been feet away from him in yeah. AMC in Manhattan as he's signing posters and, you know, uh, and they were knee deep in rehearsals for this. Uh, yeah, you know, you, you detected a little bit of auto tune from time to time, but nothing, uh, you know, to, to where it was a deal breaker. Particularly, I mean, for the for the whole cast here, knowing that only two of them are professional singers, and I'd say Christina Chong kind of more in the uh, the, the the recording booth sense. Yeah, um, Melissa Navia talked about how she came from a background in musical theater, and you can definitely tell from the way she leans into it. If, if there's a regret, it's that she didn't get her own number. But, you know, on this podcast and with our listeners, we're always clamoring for more Ortegas. That needs to be for season three of Stranger Worlds podcast. We need to have a segment, you know, uh, enough or enough Ortegas or not. And I think most yes. of the time it's going to be you're not giving us more. Um what I found interesting, and I, Pete, I say this with all love and respect to the the actors and performers here, I was shocked. You, you listen to Christina Chong's voice on the soundtrack, and she's wonderful. And I felt like maybe there was a little, whether she's being uncomfortable or whether she's, how, how Christina Chong lip synced to herself, I felt weirdly kind of pulled things down a little bit. And again, I don't know if that's because it's through the lens of, Laon or, or, or whatever. Um, conversely, it looked like I'm sure that Celia Rose Gooding was not singing live on set. That's just simply not how it's done, uh, unless you're the Les Miserables movie. But I digress. Um, she looked like she was singing live, which means she was not. She was, she was acting like she was singing. You know what I mean? Like she, she was not worried about, oh man, I need to pull my neck this way just a little bit to get that note, but that's not, that would look goofy on camera. She went for it. So her body matched the voice every single time. And, you know, again, obviously somebody with literal Broadway experience before she got this role, 
uh, fitting that she's the best performer there and the one kind of leading the way performance-wise. It is the job. With that, Pete, let's open Hailing Frequencies. Hailing Frequencies open, sir. To Twitter, which we're going to keep calling Twitter, we go, Pete, uh, where people could rate this episode in the following ways. The lowest, Condition Red, Trek Dead, got 0%. Uh, next, Falls Apart, Broken Heart, 14.3%. That's way too many votes for... This did not fall apart. Uh, like It, Spark Ignited, uh, got 21.4%. And then Designed, Outside the Line, 64.3%. Some replies here on Twitter uh, from, I'll always call it Twitter, at KCLYLE1. Uh, it could have gone horribly wrong, and it was absolutely amazing. The finale was sort of contrived to get all singing, but I love the rest of it. Curious as to how many actuals can sing that well, Christina Chung, uh, and how many needed help. I wonder if Gene ever imagined this. Having said that, I'm sure there are people who feel uh, it did go horribly wrong. Saw people commenting how awful it was without seeing it. Haters gonna hate. Um, I don't know, Pete, this was just a joy. I think we're all, we're all unified in that. James is sagacious. Big Killin on Twitter says they flew and it made me like a musical, which is unforgivable. Um, <laughs> James perhaps showing some, some Klingon blood there. I don't know. Oh, here from at Diana Bodenberg. Definitely enjoyed this week's episode. Not my fave, but it was fun. I was really rooting for Laan and Kirk, even though we know it isn't meant to be. The Pike and Patel fight in front of the bridge crew had me cracking up. The Klingons getting down was funny as well. Christina Chong and Celia Rose Gooding have amazing voices. They all seem like they had a great time doing this. Really enjoyable this week. Uh, next, we get, I have to admit, Pete, I don't, uh, Spider-Ham Lincoln replied with, uh, his reply was in Klingon. Uh, so we might have to, <laughs> however, he was quote, he, he was quote, uh, tweeting, uh, Congo Zande who said they've got Klingons dubstepping. I bleeping love this show. Uh, I think so say we all, uh, more from Spider-Ham Lincoln though, who says I performed in several musicals in high school and have seen and enjoyed countless more, including the dozen or so my son performed in as a young actor. I think musical theater is great, but I was skeptical about this episode. So I watched and I cringed. And I applauded everyone's courage in making this episode. And I cringed harder when Bruce Horak's Klingon persona sang and danced along with his flamboyant bridge crew. And then finally, when they were all sung out, I decided this was not my cup of Earl Grey. Uh, like last season's eighth episode, Elysian Kingdom, Rhapsody will likely end up being my least favorite. Not because there was no story. On the contrary, the character development we got was pretty good. And not because of the science fiction-y way that explained why this was a musical story. I'm just one of those people who thinks uh, a TV drama, especially one of this cal uh, caliber and with this amount of uh, legacy uh, that Stranger Worlds has behind it, should not be doing this kind of gimmick and certainly not when it takes up one-tenth of the season. Musical theater is great. Uh, there's definitely a place for musicals in our society, but for me, Star Trek ain't it. But I did, uh, I at least did get a catchy earworm for my troubles. And he includes a picture of Chekhov with that other worm closer to his ear um and by the way gooner jch replies to uh to all of that and says actually i think star trek is a good vehicle for musical episodes it doesn't take much of a stretch to go from the naked time to this episode in my opinion but i understand how you would feel taking up one tenth of a season maybe i would be better as a christmas special which is something to think about certainly 
Um, Andre Yeager at Dr. Polo 1983 says, I don't normally like musical episodes, but they knocked this one out of the park. They made it fit the overall narrative of the show, and Uhura can sang. The showrunners continue to kill it this year. Hear more from uh, Gunnar JCH, who says, I say more. I get that this might be a gimmick, but I'd rather a full-on musical like this than characters walked into a bar and had to sing like Picard Season 2. One gripe, it felt like some solo songs ran a bit long, but let's do this again. On a more serious note, I got a bad feeling about Captain Patel's fate. Uh, Brett, Desno Will- Brett Desmo Williams, B.W. Desmo, checks in. Okay, I don't do musicals, but this episode was really well done. Character development, story construction, revelations, realizations, etc. This was a really good, solid story told in a different way. And La'an, as a character, showed so much depth in an episode Reverend did. Oh, and the Klingons into a boy band? Maybe do a literal spit take. <laughs> Uh, lastly, Pete, on Twitter, we hear from Wes Lockhart. That's at Riker Data or Data. I actually enjoyed this episode. I did have misgivings in the beginning, but we'll watch it. Uh, well, Star Trek, I'm glad I did. This crew continues to knock it out of space dock. If any crew could do this and some of the other stuff they have done, this is the one. Klingon Hammer. Pete, what do you have there over on Facebook? Alan Thomas writes, Chapel didn't instantly teleport across sickbay. This is about last week's episode. Look at what is behind her on the shelves in the first shot. The exact same stuff that's behind her when she is shown a moment later right up close to the two men. You and another podcast made this same error. It's not totally your fault because they violated some basic rules of cinematic grammar here, presumably to make it a little more ambiguous for us in the audience because they didn't want us to have the image etched in our minds of a sympathetic character like Mbenga clearly murdering Ra, but not ambiguous to Chapel. We're conditioned to the idea that if you cut back and forth between a certain point of view shot and a one shot, showing a specific character the pov is supposed to be what that character saw but that's not what occurred here it should have been shot and or edited differently to avoid this confusion i co-signed matt's vehement disagreement with pete's bonkers theory that Ra is still alive to be brought out of the pattern buffer periodically to be tortured uh he's got the scream emoji here um set aside the metafictional problem that this would well and truly complete the character assassination of a legacy character like mbenga what about the fact that starfleet brass is obviously going to want to see and take possession of the body for an independent autopsy pete if nothing else this will be borne out by future episodes uh eventually either it'll be you know him out of the pattern buffer or it never gets dealt with again so an answer will happen at one point in the future he added it sounds like josephina was confused by the scene in a different way in her feedback she talked about Ra trying to murder mbenga with that knife but Ra was in fact unarmed mbenga had been saving the, that knife since he killed those klingon commanders with it which allowed him and chapel to now frame Ra. i think it's important that everyone understands this is what happened mbenga killed an unarmed man and the two of them covered it up 
I agree that that's what Mbenga did. Perhaps, uh, and I don't remember Josephina's words exactly, but perhaps she was referring to the cover story in which, you know, in, in the version of the cover story, uh, it, it was Ra who had the knife. Uh, Pete, in the corrections department, well, a corrections from Spider-Ham uh, Lincoln correcting me, uh, and I will admit, Pete, when reference was made, I guess, last week to Dr. Piper, I was mixing up Dr. Boyce. So here is your official uh kind of enterprise no bloody a b c or d uh doctor lineup thus far yes we have boyce as the chief medical officer in the cage we have mbenga in the stranger worlds now we have dr piper who i completely forgot existed who's the doctor in where no man has gone before which you know is the first the, the first produced episode even though now they show them in Airing order, which makes no sense, but whatever. But anyhow, Boyce, Mbenga, Piper, then McCoy. So that definitely uh, the truth of it there. Continuing in the email inbox, Pete, it's Star Trek Two: The Return of Alan Thomas, who says <laughs> some people are going to hate this episode just because they don't like musical theater, or at least they don't think it's appropriate to mix uh, with Star Trek, and that's fine. It really comes down to an, to an it's not for me type reaction. My take is a little more complicated. Right off the bat, I was almost immediately getting annoyed with the musical, the opening musical number. But then I was surprised to find I did like Va'an's little interlude within. And then I absolutely loved her solo song about her paradigm. So that would suggest it wasn't the fundamental concept that was a problem. I liked Hamilton, after all, even though I don't watch a ton of musicals. But rather the execution by most of the rest of the cast. Una and Uhura were fine, though not on Va'an's level. Uh, some others, oofta. In a vacuum, I also really like the confessional scene with La'an and James Kirk, but it did bother me that she was feeling that palpable level of, uh, pardon me, palpable uh, level of intense emotion without bursting the song. I don't mind the very dubious science fictional nature of the episode's promise, but it really should follow its own rules consistently. The Klingon boy band Dishonor was pretty funny. Overall, I can't recommend this episode despite how much I enjoyed certain parts of it even though I was fully able to roll with the absurdity of the premise just because several of the songs were such tough hangs. Uh, and last email, Pete, comes from Stacy Thomas, who says as follows. Hi, Matt and Pete. Uh, Pete's reaction to my thinking last week's episode was the musical one was spot on. I thought, this seems an odd topic to turn into a fun musical. Um, oh, but this musical episode was so fun and definitely worth the wait. And the Stranger World creators knew what they were doing, alternating heavy episodes with fun episodes. Oh, the unusual phenomenon isn't a nebula. It is very pretty, though. Oh, my goodness, Uhura having to act as an operator. Of course, she's good at it. This is such a brilliant way of having the crew sing for seemingly no reason. They broke open the subspace fold with Ethel Merman. <laughs> I was surprised to see Chapel applied for another. Uh, Pete, she says Vulcan Fellowship. Not a Vulcan fellowship, a different, yeah. uh, a, a human fellowship. Yes. And I'm happy to see she got this one and how great uh, it is that Ortegas and, and Mbenga are happy for her. Love Mbenga trying to explain to Ortegas how important Dr. Corby is by comparing him to Louis Pasteur. Of course, she doesn't know who that is. How many people do? The acapella version of the theme song was so well done. I love it. I love how number one feels the singing coming on. It starts with rhyming, then the music. Then the dancing with Kirk in the corridor while passing crew members give them the major side eye. La'an, ever the excellent head of security, noticing that it isn't just singing, but also that they are sharing things they wouldn't normally. Kirk's, I don't know why, but I feel like I have to do that every time I see one or both of them. 
oh good, they closed the zipper, but it's only halfway through the episode, so it can't be that easy. Whoops, made worse. Their zipper's still open. <laughs> they uh, absolutely. Uh, indeed, Pete. From your comment, zipper is still open. I'll just continue with uh, Stacy's words here. Hmm, blowing the subspace fold up doesn't seem like a a, a good idea to me. Kirk, sir, let Laon finish her thought. Yeah, he apologized, but guys, just let women talk. And then he volunteers her for the job of gathering subspace particles without asking her. Okay, yes, it's a very Kirk thing to do. At least he's right in that they work well together. Ha, I was right. Blowing up the subspace folds a bad idea. Oh, dear. Now Klingons are involved. Oh, Laon, she finally opens up. And what does she get for her pain? Kirk is with someone and she's pregnant. There's quite a grand finale, complete with hip-hop Klingons. This was another episode where my usual thoughts in the moment, uh, note-taking, didn't work well. If I hadn't edited heavily, my email would have been ridiculously long. I thoroughly enjoyed this episode and was pleasantly surprised at how good everyone's singing was. And as always, Pike had great expressions, especially when number one sang, everything is okay. Look on his face when he shook his head was perfect. I know I say this every week, and every week I mean it, but I am really, really looking forward to your thoughts on this one. That's from Stacy, aka Stingray, aka Trek Girl eighty eight on the social media. Thank you for your thoughts on this one, Stacy. Pete, let's now get to Fred from the Netherlands. We haven't listened to this. Will he have a singing interlude? Hello, Matt and Pete, and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Strange New Worlds Season 2, Episode 9. I'm a little bit ambivalent about this episode. Do I like it or do I have some doubts? It was, of course, great to have a musical episode. I'm not too much into musical episodes, but... After 57 years, uh, for the first time in Star Trek history, a musical version was, uh, well, in its frequency, okay. I was thinking about if this cast is the best cast to do it, and I think it is. If you said, okay, which cast would you have an idea of doing this, then it's indeed... Well, of, of course, I know that Christina Chong is a good singer. She just has her EP out. Uh, very proud of it. Very nice, by the way. So she can really sing. And if you watch the Ready Room, you also see her about her musical aspirations. But when I look back, I think perhaps the original series cast and the cast of Deep Space Nine, I would have thought they could have done it. I don't see Picard doing this or Janeway or the cast of The Enterprise. But perhaps I'm completely wrong in that. And there are some marvelous singers in those casts as well. I did enjoy the episode and I think it's quite an accomplishment. But what I was doing is all the time checking, can this actor sing or not? And I actually have a kind of uh, music contest of which I'm the judge. Well, uh, our captain is not the best singer. And Celia Rose Gooding and of course Christina Chong... And also Rebecca Romaine and Eaton Pack really can sing. Jess Bush had a very special voice, I have to say. A little bit dark, interesting voice. And apart from the feeling of being in a uh, singer's contest, I also had the constantly the feeling, is this story that's behind it plausible? I think they did a nice job in finding a kind of story that would fit this and would explain this. 
Okay, that would be all for this time. Looking forward to the season finale. All the best, Fred from the Netherlands. What an interesting thought experiment. How does this cast stack up potentially to other casts, particularly Pete? We knew about the two singers in the group. Uh, and I, I, and I think most people share with Fred the surprise uh, of apparently the the largely unauto-tuned voices, if not completely unauto-tuned. Uh, Rebecca Romaine, Ethan Peck. Uh, I would also echo Jess Bush. That's a that's a great song, and it plays yeah. into her um, kind of kind of more alto voice there. Yeah, um, a bit more bohemian. Um, you know the the Mulan rouge-esque nature of it um fred makes me wonder and i thought about it a little bit watching this episode because of kirk's involvement you know what would shatner what what the rocket man and the the albums he'd recorded done with a star trek musical i guess we'll never know kind of surprised to hear fred be a little critical of it given I know he's a fan of Fringe and Goldsman, their, their 19th episode of the second season was the, the musical episode, Brown Betty. Well, Pete, we know this. Next week, not a musical. And uh, certainly looking forward to talking about that in a week's time. And of course, this entire season-long journey that still is not over yet could not have been made possible without those who support us on patreon.com slash fantastic geek pete uh maybe one day we'll add a tier i was gonna say where we sing maybe there should be a tier where people we sing people pay us to not sing yeah uh but everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive content that probably won't ever include singing uh just takes a dollar a month to get you behind that door can't contribute get yourself over to apple Podcasts. leave us a rating leave us a review all of which helps us pete as we head towards the end of the season here with plenty of star trek to come after the this season ends lower decks in the fall discovery in the winter how can people be in touch with you on social media you find me on twitter and threads at peter p-i-e t-e-r-j-k-l-r-k-e-t-e-l-a-a-r 12,698 fans and following on twitter can't be wrong and while i'm personally on twitter's looking back lost do me in touch with the podcast comment on fantasticgeek.com check us out on twitter instagram gmail and threads where we are fantastic geek as well but wait pete there's more facebook.com slash fantastic geek with a ph all one word like it today Pete, can't wait for next Star Trek Sunday when we will be breaking down the season finale and the, at least in the medium term, the the, the temporary conclusion of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Uh, with that, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you, Pete, the final word. So that happened. Sensational, sensational.